0: is tough but especially as Christians living in the world that we do when we're not given into the world and bending to the world which is so often a temptation for us you know that as Christians it's so tough to live a faithful christian life but he is faithful to us um and we're going to see that today the title of this message is the, the grace of refinement so often it's so hard um, to to be faithful in the lord and 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 it's that struggle, like Paul says in Romans 7, right? We go back and forth. I do the things I don't want to do. Here's what I want to do, and yet I'm doing just the opposite of that. Please, Lord, help me. You know, what's wrong with me in that way? And that is the, the struggle that we have. But you need to know that the Lord is at work in us, refining us. And these messages in Malachi are pretty difficult because this was a very rebellious people uh, that he's addressing. And and so the, the messages come through as they should with that right amount of of difficultness, of, of harshness, if you will, in that way, as he's as he's breaking through and breaking us down, because a big part of the Christian life and sanctification is being broken down so we could live for him, being built up in him, right? We go through that struggle all the time. So Malachi, um, beginning, uh, in chapter 2, verse 17, we'll read what we read last week. And then through 3 and verse 4. We'll stop at 4 this morning. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? This is how. By saying, "Everyone everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord in, as in the days of old and as in former years. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. And I just pray, Lord, that by your spirit, this word would penetrate our hearts and minds, that we would be conformed by your grace and mercy, Lord, to live as we ought to, to love you, Lord, to, to depend completely upon you, for only there do we have peace Lord God, and comfort and that and that that passes all understanding, Lord, that that uh, gives honor and glory to you. So I pray that you would be with us and, and help us, Lord, to really think through these things this morning. And I pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word in a manner, Lord God, that is glorifying and honoring to you, that's helpful for us, that's convicting where it needs to be, Lord, where it's encouraging, Lord, where where we need to be as well, Lord God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so like I said, and I, I was saying, the, the the people here last week, we talked about the Lord, He said, enough. They, they're accusing God, and God turns around and says, wait a minute, enough. You're the ones that are doing this towards me. This is almost kind of the flip side of that. As you think about the people and the complaints that they have towards God, they're, and these are the people of God, it's not just the, it's not the the, 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 the unbelievers, that's that's another category. But what makes it so heartbreaking and so tough is that these are supposed to be the people of God. And they're complaining in their attitude. They're, they have an attitude of bitterness towards the Lord. Uh, it comes through in their actions, even the way they bring their sacrifices, so on and so forth. So, um, this, that kind of attitude shows one of two things for us. And it's very important to make this distinct distinction. Number one. Sometimes as genuine believers, I mean, those who are truly in Jesus Christ, we will be in heaven on the day that we die. Sometimes we go through those seasons where we just find ourselves in the deep weeds, right? It's just tough. It's tough to do the things that we love to do, like even read the Bible or, or pray or obey the Lord as we ought to. It's just so difficult for us. And, and we kind of go into that, um, situations where we're disappointed with, with our situation. We're kind of wandering away from the Lord. We get caught up in the world. We're slipping back into sinful sinful thoughts and and sinful patterns and habits, even for a season. We can all relate to that. That's how it is for so many of us as Christians. So that's one category. Truly converted, but we find ourselves, you know, in the the weeds a lot of the times and and distracted from the Lord. And sometimes even, you know, wondering about things. the second category are those professing believers, those who say that they know and love the Lord. They go along with the program for a while, but eventually, as the demands of the gospel are pressed upon you, and, and the gospel is costly, and it demands all of who we are. It demands a lot from us. As those demands come to the fore, as they hit too close to home, we see disappointment not just in circumstances, but disappointment with God. You know, God, why are you demanding this from me? Why is this so hard? Why do I have to do this? Why are you bringing this into my life? Why are you asking me to give up so much? So, those professing believers are kind of drawn away from the Lord, and you see these kinds of things that are going on in Mal- Malachi's time. So, God sends His messengers. God sent Malachi. He sends His prophets to reestablish the people, to reinforce the truth, to call people to repentance, to, to call them back to God, those who truly belong to him. And those who don't belong to him, as the message goes out, as the truth comes out, you know what happens? You get harder and harder against the Lord. If you're not going to be broken, uh, you, know, you know the saying, the same sun that that melts the ice hardens the clay. And that's really true in Scripture and the things of the Lord. So the prophets are called to come and... and called people back to God. Malachi was a faithful, we could see this man and just a fearless prophet. I mean, he just just and that's so cool to see when there's so much pressure against you to actually just speak the truth, God's truth uh to to the people. He is that. But here in our passage this morning, he looks forward to uh one who will not simply call for repentance, but he'll do something about the sin that makes repentance a requirement and that's really good news so um first one in chapter three says behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts so here's a looking forward to we have malachi there's like kind of three messengers here that um that we're told about in this passage number one malachi he comes to the people. But he also looks forward to uh, uh, another messenger who's going to prepare the way and for the final messenger. And we know, and we always, at Advent time especially, we'll preach this sermon. Who are we talking about when he says, I'm going to send my messenger before you? We know this from scripture. Who's he talking about there? Who's this looking forward to? John the Baptist, that's right. Somebody said John, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Tobias is shaking his head, that's the one. He is the one. Uh, we know this in verse in chapter four, verse five. says, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." So we have another clue there that God is preparing even something bigger, not just calling people to repentance, but he's sending the one who's gonna do something about the sin that requires repentance. And he's sending Elijah ahead as his messenger to make the way for for Messiah. Uh, So in Luke chapter 117, this is how we know it's John, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's talking of John the Baptist. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Matthew 3, chapter 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, a voice crying in the wilderness. That's from Isaiah 40. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Then Matthew 11, uh, 10 and 14. This is he of whom it's written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way before you. And then verse 14. If you're willing, Jesus said, to accept it. He is Elijah who is to come. So you see the prophetic um message there of the, of the lord coming there's the promise 400 years before the incarnation of christ that he would come and jesus is the messenger of the covenant even the language here makes it so plain it's so um so exalted in in the language here because he says in the lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. So we know that the messenger of the covenant is Jesus. How do we know this? Number one, we know this from the from the New Testament. This is fulfilled. But also even in this text, the Lord, when he says the Lord, the messenger, as he's referring to him, that word is Adon or Adonai. And it's much more than just a, a prophet who's sent. It's actually the Lord. It's more than just a mere human being who's sent out. Adonai means Lord. And so he is the one who is coming. Notice it says he's coming to his temple. It doesn't say he's coming to the temple, but his temple. Everything about the temple represented, pictured the person and work of Jesus Christ, pictured the work of Messiah. So this is pointing to something uh, to, to Christ It says he'll come suddenly to his temple. Now it doesn't mean he's not going to come out like it doesn't mean that he just comes out of nowhere or that he comes um, immediately, you know, kind of suddenly. It does mean it does mean that he comes um, unexpectedly in in the way. how, How should I put this? He comes, he's kind of not the one that they expected necessarily. That's how he's going to come into his temple. They're waiting for Messiah, but it wasn't this kind of Messiah. They're not waiting for, uh, they're kind of waiting for that warrior Messiah to come to overthrow the yoke of the Romans, to establish the kingdom there. They weren't really ex- expecting the humble, meek Jesus Messiah. Um, and, and even in the passage here, he's, this is, he uses sarcasm when he says, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. That's, that's sarcasm because they didn't really delight in him. They weren't delighting in God and they weren't going to delight in, in Christ either. Now there were a few, obviously. Remember who was in the temple waiting to see the Messiah? Do you remember the man? That's right. All right. That's good. And, and then there was the prophetess Anna. And so, yes, there's always exceptions to that. But, They weren't really looking for or delighting in this particular one. That's why he means suddenly comes to his temple, the unexpected one. We're expecting somebody else, and yet here is the true uh, Messiah. And then at the end of that verse, he says, uh, Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that word for Lord is Yahweh, and that's a reference to God the Father. So you could see the, the connection of God the Father sending his son. He is coming to the temple so all all that's exalted language it's all there um even the title the messenger of the covenant that's the covenant of grace that's the new covenant in the blood of jesus christ and that tells us that jesus alone is the lord of the covenant it reveals the glory of god and the sure promise of the coming of his son that all those who believe in christ will have their sins forgiven will be made new. He's the one who's going to take the heart of stone out and give them a heart of flesh that they may know him and believe in him. He's going to put their law, his law, upon their hearts. He's going to be their God and they will be his people so there's that language is a prophetic language looking forward to christ jesus is the ultimate messenger he's the final messenger as a matter of fact he is the message the message itself is bound up in the person and work of jesus christ remember he told his disciples all these things in the old testament are written about me and he started to explain those things to the people christ and in his office as prophet, he comes and he does preach repentance. Matthew 4, 17, he says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only comes as prophet, he comes as priest as well. He comes as the Savior. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, So this is establishing the coming of Messiah, the coming of the Savior. And it's a little nuanced, and there's definitely layers when we get to the refining, and you're going to see that in just a minute. But understand, the problems that are raised in Malachi, and this is something that we want to get into our minds and our hearts because this is a struggle that, that, that goes on all the time. The problems that we see in Malachi regarding the relationship to God, God and his people, and those who claim to be his people are not, they're not something foreign. They weren't doing something that was so different back in Malachi that, that we aren't doing today. We're basically doing the same kind of thing and the same kind of sins and the same kind of rebellion towards God. That's, 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 these things are perennial. They're, perpetual, and they're playing to see when the people of God begin to drift away from Him. That's why we have to fight so hard and rely on Him so much not to drift, to keep our eyes fixed on Him, because that's our tendency. I don't care if you're born again. I don't care if how much we love Christ. That battle ensues every single day, doesn't it? If you're a Christian, you know that. Satan doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep. It's always, it's constant. So we constantly have to be looking to Christ. If we don't, guess what? We're going to drift. Our lives are are, are not going to be in, in accord with scripture or it's going to be a shallow kind of Christianity. And once your, once your faith is ta- challenged or tested, you're not even going to know how to answer for the hope that you have within you. And you're going to crumble and we're going to be defeated by the world in so many different ways. These problems are perennial, perpetual, plain to see as we grow weary of God and the things of the Lord. And, and sometimes we just have to confess that that's in our, in our walk with the Lord, that that happens. We get fed up with the way things are, and why isn't it different, Lord? We get disillusioned, and, and when we start to kind of look back to Egypt, right? You know how people look back when when the Lord took them out of Egypt after they were in slavery for so long. What did some of the people do? Oh, remember back in Egypt, how wonderful it was? We had dates to eat. What are you kidding me, or what? You were in slavery and bondage, and but that's what we do all the time as Christians. We kind of look back to. Uh, days of old, when we shouldn't be doing. He rescued us from that. So these issues that, that are going on in Malachi, they're, they're kind of like root issues. They're telltale signs that we're far away from the Lord, that we are walking in disobedience at the very least and unbelieving at worst. So Malachi addressed these things about the sacrifice, about worship, about the priesthood, um, about the offerings that, that are being made. Um, about divorce and and, and marriage and and family in that way, Uh, the outward selfish attitude that so many people have towards God, the flippant attitude towards the Lord. And then later on, he'll address the, the tithes and offerings, which we'll talk about. Listen, Jesus addressed these very same issues in his day, didn't he? absolutely these are perennial perpetual issues that we deal with that kind of take us away from the lord now there's a lot of little, a lot of you know tributaries that, that go out from this but but generally speaking these are the things what did jesus say about worship in his day he says i I want people who worship me in spirit and in truth, the way I deserve to be worshipped, the way it's we're commanded to worship by God. So that was a problem in his day that he addressed, just like the people in Matt. They were bringing bad sacrifices, lame sacrifices, disease sacrifices to God and saying, here, God, be happy with that. Be thankful with that. Jesus addresses the same issue. Did Jesus address unfaithful clergy? (laughs) Pretty much read the Gospels. You know, if you have time this afternoon, read Matthew 23, and that kind of puts it in a nutshell. He absolutely addresses the unfaithful clergy. Jesus addressed how quickly people were to dissolve their marriages, right? In Matthew, he talks about that, that God made the two one. What God has brought together, no man shall separate. That was an issue at his time. And these are, these are indications that we've drifted away from the Lord. That we're not honoring him with worship. We're not honoring him in our lives. We're not faithful as clergy bringing forth the truth of God. We're not faithful in our relationships and in our marriages. These are things that are signs that we are drifted away, have drifted away from the Lord. Um, the attitude of, of selfish and outward people. How flippant they were. Remember how people followed? I think John chapter 5, John chapter 6, people were following Jesus. They went to find him. Why did they go to find Jesus? Because of his amazing, uh, why? Because, right, he had fed them. And, and Jesus himself said that. You're not coming because you want me. You're coming because of the signs, because that I fed you. And later on in John chapter 6, after Jesus Talks about the cost of discipleship. What did so many of those disciples do? They walked away. They took off. So Jesus even said to his own, Do you want to go? And what did the faithful one say? To whom shall we go, Lord? You have words of life. Amen? Praise God. So but you see this, this continues on. The 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 um uh, Jesus instructs on the nature of, of giving in Luke chapter 21 as he talks about the widow and, and how we are to view our offering to the Lord. We'll get to that in Malachi in the, in the coming weeks. So you have that. malachis he's addressing those issues, right? That, and other things flow from that for sure. But you see these kinds of things that are indications that we are distant from God in our hearts. Jesus addresses the same kind of things throughout his ministry. How about Today. Is it is it better today? Are we a lot better today? Is it good now? No, not so much. We're living in a day, beloved, of unfaithful and frivolous worship. So much, in so much of the church. Um, it's just, I'm not, it just is. Like I said, they would bring injured, diseased, not the best of themselves to worship the Lord. It's a huge problem in today's church The worship, for the most part, and I'm generalizing, there are very faithful churches that seek to worship as God would want us to. But generally speaking, especially in some of the really big churches, there are actually churches that are kind of founded on the worship, on the music, and then ministry in, in that way. But... It's a huge problem in the church because it's man-centric. It's man-centered. It's customized. It's sensing, pleasing worship. I want you just to feel better. I don't want you to fall asleep. I want you to be awake. I want you to be, you know, excited and charged up for the Lord. And so we're going to customize our worship. We're going to kind of give you what you want instead of what God demands oftentimes. There might be a little overlap here and there. But basically, we go to church, and I'm going to say this carefully, but so many People go to church for themselves. We go to church for us. And there's something to that, obviously. We want to be built up and strengthen the Lord. I'm not talking about that, but far too many people go to church just to see what we could receive and, and how we're um, emotionally built up and how we feel good about ourselves after being there. And that's why I go, listen, the reason, the, the fundamental reason, the primary reason that we go to church is to worship Him. It starts by... Giving the Lord what he demands from us in terms of worship. Do you understand? There's a difference. There's a big difference. You don't come to church just so you feel good, so you can get through the rest of your week. That's not the right attitude. The, the right attitude is I'm coming to church because God has ordained this, because he's called us to do this, and I want to worship him the way he wants me to worship him, the way he demands that we worship him, the way he deserves to be worshiped by us. And then we're filled up, and then we're encouraged. That's true encouragement, right? So we kind of flip-flop that even in our day. There's a huge problem with worship. People, people aren't bringing themselves as an offering to the Lord. Again, just coming, showing up, going through the motions. Here I am. Aren't you happy, God? No, that, that, doesn't, that will not do with the Lord. We have a massive problem with unfaithful, and I'm talking every sense of the word, with unfaithful clergy. I, again, I know that the Lord has set aside his 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, but beloved, there's so many pastors, so called teachers and preachers that just don't care about you and they don't care about the Lord and they don't care about the Word. They mostly care about themselves and building a ministry in the name of God. I'm telling you right now and I'm warning you, it, they're out there. It's a massive problem. They're unfaithful in every sense of that word. They're uncaring, so many are self-absorbed, they're status-seeking, man-pleasing, shallow teaching, pragmatic, we're going to do whatever it takes to to get it done, even if it has to go away from Scripture, growth-seeking ministers, ministers who are proud, they're just proud, and they use their position, they use their authority to satisfy their own sinful inclinations, whatever they might be. Their lust for power, their need for respect, their need for adulation from others, that's a big deal in the pulpit today, right now. There are so many unfaithful ministers that are simply not honoring God, just like in the days of Malachi, just like in the days of Jesus, even now today. And it's a struggle to be faithful. It truly is. We talked about the state of marriage, and the sinful, silly reasons, and the skyrocketing rates of divorce, even among professing believers. I mean, it's just, it's just we kind of mirror the world in that way. We did an entire message on that as well, just how that's breaking down the family, breaking down the the, the pillars, really, uh, uh, of the, in the church and so forth. We've yet to talk about the tithes and offerings. We will, and that's kind of our whole view on money, and and that and the resources that the Lord's given to us. So, Malachi points these out. John called people to repentance in preparing the way to, for Christ. And what sets Jesus apart is that he came not only to point out the problem and call people to repentance but, amen and praise God, he's the solution to the problem. He's not just the messenger, he is the message. Amen and praise God. Malachi promises that the coming Messiah would deal with sin, and that's the hope in this passage. Verse 2, there are a couple metaphors that he uses to, to, to show how Messiah dealt with sin and continues to deal with sin. He says this, but who can endure the day if it's coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Amen and praise God. Two metaphors. Both of these things, the refiner's fire, the fuller's soap, they are meant to purify and they are meant to cleanse with, and here's the cool thing, without destroying or consuming what's actually valuable. That's, that's the thing about the, the purification. He's, he doesn't come and, and obliterate and destroy and incinerate, but he comes to refine his people, to remove the dross, to remove the garbage, to get that stuff out of the way, the stains. So what's under there? That's, he leaves a pure, useful, uh, quality, refined silver and gold. So when we talk about the purifying of the Lord, there, there are def, definitely layers and, and uh, levels of, of meaning in that, and I want to touch on uh, a few of those this morning, actually really three of those. Number one, the highest meaning. Why did Jesus come? He came to save his people from their sins. So we're purified in that sense. That's the highest, um, most needed, most basic meaning of this. That he came to save his people from their sins, and this language is used in terms in um, regards to redemption in Titus chapter two verses thirteen and fourteen we 're waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing of our Lord and, and the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify a people for um, himself for his own possession who are zealous for good works amen praise god so on that level we are purified being in christ first john 1 6 and 7 if we say we have fellowship with him while we're in darkness we lie do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he's in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin in ephesians chapter 5 i'm going to turn there very quickly you don't have to turn with me. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. We're told this Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So there's that whole language of that, that purifying and being made new in Jesus Christ. And he he's the one who fulfilled the law that the priests refused to even preach, let alone obey. He purified the priesthood. He purifies his people. He saves his people. We become the priesthood of of Christ so that's that 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 main basic level that we're purified of our sins now he continues to refine and purify especially through his spirit he does it uh corporately as well as individually and this is going to kind of take us the, the rest of this message here Number one, corporately as a church. Now, this could be, I had a really long section, but we would be sitting here and you would really fall asleep if I did everything I wanted to do. This could be a sermon in and of itself. But he refines us corporately, that is as a church. He calls his church to be faithful as the body of Jesus Christ, to love him, to obey him with one heart, one soul, one mind, preach well faithfully teach faithfully live out faithfully encourage one another as we ought to be doing that he calls churches to be faithful and churches are refined corporately as they hold the line and this you could trace this throughout church history churches congregations that hold the line biblically while so many others around them capitulate to the world and to vain philosophies. Do you understand? It's it is. There is so much pressure to remain faithful to God's word, and you know this. You, if you're in my church history class, you can see this. There's always the pressure to bend to the culture, to what's going on outside. And science says this, so you can't believe that anymore. Church, you know, we're told this. This is the truth. You can't. Be, who believes? in these silly, you know, in these miracles that happen, come on, in this day and age, we know better than that, so there's, there's the worldly philosophies, and it's so easy to try to become friends with the world, and capitulate to the world, and say, yeah, okay, maybe not, but every time we do that, we prove ourselves unfaithful to the Lord, that's what makes the difference, when we stand strong in the Lord, and in his word, and say, no, 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 you could go there, but this is what God's word says, and I'm standing on the word of God, come what may, we need to do that, corporately so we're refined in that way so when denominations go liberal they take over the churches and institutions they ridicule those who do who do remain faithful to the word we see that today for sure even in the southern baptist convention we're seeing a big shift and a big movement in that way towards um I'm just say just more of a liberal kind of drift in that way getting away from the word of god many of you who are in tune to that see it very clearly with CRT, with LGBTQ, with um, deconstruction. It's really coming in there. And and now, we're pre- people were preaching just even a few years ago about the sanctity of marriage, sanctity of life. You're almost made to feel that that's silly. And how can you even believe that? Because here's... God is more accepting than that and loving in every situation. So there's that refiner's fire that separates the dross, It gets rid of that from the real thing. But the real thing, it's tough as you're going through that because we're called to remain faithful. And that brings on a lot of pressure and and, uh, at times persecution and very very difficult as churches. It's very difficult to stay uh, faithful to the word. It's much easier to go the other way, to capitulate, to give in. You know that. So we see that in, in a saving way that we're purified in Christ on a corporate level. And then finally, personally. Personally, I'm gonna close with this today, or round out the message with this part portion. <clears throat> he puts us <clears throat> individually through the refining fire, doesn't he? He tests our faithfulness and makes us more dependent on him as our faith is proven. So even the psalmist in Psalm 26, 2 kind of speaks to this. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. He's saying, refine me, Lord. Come, make sure I want to know that I'm truly in you and serving you. You're not going to consume us. Right? But he will and he does refine us, absolutely. And here's why: if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a true believer in Christ, you are going to be refined because he isn't going to let you go. Amen. That's a, and that's a wonderful thing. That's why he called it the grace of refinement. Because so often when we're in rebellion to it'd be we're why we should be shocked that he doesn't let us go. It's be, our hearts sometimes, we are so we turn against the Lord. It's like, okay, I'm done with you. That's what you want? You're out of here. But he doesn't do that because of his love for us in Christ. Because he chose us before the foundation of the world. Because he causes us to persevere in our faith. Because he'll never leave nor forsake us, no matter how much we sin against him or turn against him. But he will refine us. That's what he's going to do. Because he isn't going to let you go, but he's going to show you how much you need him. Amen? That's the refinement. That's what we go through. He's going to burn out the dross in our life until what's left is pure, useful, and valuable. Because when we're not being refined, when we're just out there doing what we're doing, we're not useful to the Lord. We're not useful to the kingdom. We're not valuable to Him. Oftentimes we bring disgrace even to to His name. So refining serves to get our minds back onto Him, to give our entire heart to Jesus Christ. And that's always the goal of the Christian life, right? That's our truest desire. If you're a Christian this morning, what's your truest desire? To give everything that you are to Jesus, man. Like I want you to have my heart. I want you to have my life. I want every part of me to be consumed by you so I'm used by you. I want to be faithful to you. That's our, because of we're transformed in him, that's our deepest desire. And yet, even as we say yes, and we do mean it, It's so easy to end up where the people of Malachi found themselves, isn't it? That's the struggle of the Christian life so much. It does have to do with our sanctification. What does this refining look like in our lives as Christians? I don't know. It's hard to say. We've been through it. You, You know when you're in it. You know when you're being refined by the Lord especially. And it is connected, obviously, to our sanctification, becoming more like Christ. But, man... When we've drifted from the Lord, when we've let things go, when we've become apathetic towards him, when we're in a season of sin in our own lives, he, there seems to be just difficult, especially intense times of deep loss, of deep pain and, and pressure. Sometimes it's, it's called a hard providence that the Lord brings us into, and he, And I say this with all love. He makes it difficult so you stop looking to yourself and to others and to the things of this world. You understand? That's the refinement. That's the refiner's fire in the fuller's soap. The fuller soap was a detergent and it was harsh, but it removed the stains. And the fire is like, you know, you can picture some of the, in the, in the days of the steel mill, some of you that the going into that fire and pulling that out, removing the dross so it's pure. It is painful as we're going through it, but that's what takes our eyes off of ourselves That's what, that's, that's when we, when we stop running to the things that, that don't bring lasting peace. When we're as Christians running away from the Lord and looking to other things, when we should be looking to Him alone. Do you understand? And so you stop the the heart the the refining, is so you is, so you just stop looking to yourself and to others and to the things of this world for what you already have in Jesus Christ, and that's the hope, and that's and that is the true uh, answer. So stop running to the things that can't bring lasting peace or true comfort. But we do that so often when we're in these seasons. We, we try to try to find happiness or joy, maybe in our possessions or that security we have. No, no, we have to look to Jesus Christ. He's really all that we need. And then the possessions, yeah, we could have joy in those, whether we have it or not. I know how to get by with little. I know how to get by with a lot. That's the attitude. You know, what do we look to? Our profession, you know, and, and find our status in that, our money, For some, it's drugs. For others, it's sex. For others, it's sports. For others, it's TV talk shows. Whatever it is, we kind of, like, let go of the Lord and things that we know, and we try to find some sort of comfort or peace in those things. And they're really just distractions from what we should be doing, and it actually takes us away from who we are in Christ. So what He does, man, what He does is He presses down on you because He loves you, because you belong to Him, because He's not gonna let you go. He's gonna make sure that he's going to bring you back to him. And sometimes, sometimes it's a gentle nudge. Other times, he presses down hard. and, And he brings you to an end of yourself until you just give in, until you just give yourself completely to him, until you surrender to him. Lord, this situation is yours. I'm crying out to you. There's nothing that I can do. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. So you need to surrender your pride. You need to turn away from your sin. You need to stop looking to other things and you need to stop fighting him because he loves you. That's the refiner's fire. And that's what's so difficult. We just want to almost hold on or we want to say, you know, Lord, what? no, stop. We know why in our heart of hearts. We know that we haven't been obedient. We know that we've turned away from him. We know that we're apathetic towards him. But he's just driving that point home Sometimes in difficult situations. Stop fighting him. And when we do that and we rely on him, then that's a deep grace that we experience in our lives. And he makes things. He brings people into our lives. Oh, amazing. So we go through a difficult time or that season of refinement. And 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 all of a sudden there's oh man, he brought this person into my life who's just It's just such an encouragement. Or, you know, we're in this church together and we're getting through this difficult time. That's how he does that. Because now we're looking to him and relying on him and not on ourselves. So we need to resolve, you need to resolve in your heart and determine in your mind to trust Christ, to rest in him, to wait on him, to seek him, to, to be obedient no matter what. Don't make bargains with God. Well, God, I'll obey when you do this. I'll be better if you do this. No, no, no. I'm going to obey right now, even in this circumstance, even when it's counterintuitive to the situation or seems counterintuitive, even when it seems like a paradox, even when it seems like the wrong thing to do. Here's what your word says, and I'm going to do that. See, those like, that's like the fruit of, of refinement. He does that because he's not going to let us go. First Peter 1, 6, and 7. These are, scriptures related to this idea he says this in this you rejoice though for now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of christ notice he says that that you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith if you're a christian genuinely it's going to be tested you're going to go through the fire but you're going to get through it and this is what separates unbelievers when the tests come like this for the unbelievers or the professing believers in the church guess where they go they're gone they're out the door because it's that's kind of the dross in 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 that corporate way they're not going to endorse how many people do you know i've said enough of christianity man enough of god You know, I I tried God, I tried to be obedient. He didn't work it out in my life, so I'm out of here. See, that's, that. That's. but if you're a genuine Christian, you go through those trials and you come out and you're refined and your faith is deeper and and your trust is more secure in Him and you're growing in Him. Um, James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness you know when you've been down there in in that place where you're just being crushed by by the Lord and everything tells you I just want to go but no I'm going to stay though he slay me yet will I trust him how deep your faith is how much more mature you are how much more reliant you are on him produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect (coughs) that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Proverbs 17, 3. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. And then Acts 14, 21, 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, in saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You see that? You see that fire, the refiner's fire, that testing, that refining of of our lives in Jesus Christ? This is the grace of God's refinement. If we are his, he is not going to let us go. He's not going to let us go far away from him. but he's going to crush us to bring us back to him. When we get too comfortable with our sin, when we remain apathetic in our walk towards Christ, when we simply ignore him and his commands and kind of do what we want, oh, I'll give him my time when when I have time to give to him. He loves us too much to let us go. And he reminds us how much we need him as he refines us. Persevere through that.